How many of you are reflective types? You were, you were busily thinking back over the last year and planning towards the future, thinking about 2018 maybe. Uh, how many of you are thinking about uh, how you'd like this new year to be different? How you would have uh, chart, chart a slightly different course for, uh, for the year ahead? If you were to change just one thing, though, what, what would you try and make a little different? If you were to make um, one area of your life where, where you would make a, uh, a concerted change, where, what, what area do you think could leverage the most difference in your life, the most impact for you? I'm helped by the way that Manfred Gutsky answered that question. Uh, Manfred Gutsky was a... Uh, was a boxing champion at one point. He was a, a boxing champion in the Canadian Army. He was, uh, he was a tough guy. And he took a tough assignment uh, and he, when he came out of the military uh, as he took a teaching assignment in a one-room schoolhouse in Manitoba. I, I've never been, but I imagine that winter in Manitoba is like always like it is right now. It's just uh, a li- little colder, a little more bleak. And... He went, uh, as he went to this uh, one-room schoolhouse in Manitoba, it was in the early 1900s, he went to church, but he wasn't convinced. He would have, distri- he described himself at the time as an agnostic, and he had uh, a sense that church was a good thing to do. It was one of the uh, things on the community calendar. He just wasn't sure whether God existed or not. Couldn't make up his mind. After school one day, he was walking across the fields and he had been impacted by a, uh, a, new, a, a new neighbor who had moved in, a new farmer in, in town who seemed to have a passion for God that was different. Different than the other people that he had, he had gotten to know up until that point. And as he was walking home from school one day, he walked across the fields and he was struck by the thought if God is real, and he still hadn't made his mind up whether that was uh, the case or not, but if God was real, he could see him right here, right now, right where he was. And Manfred Gutsky did what he thought he should do. If, if God is looking at him, if God could see him, if God was there, he decided that he would take off his hat and talk to him. Uh, he prayed a simple prayer. And he said, God, I don't know whether you're there or not. And I don't mean anything badly by that. I'm just not sure. But I want to know, and you know that too. So if you are real, please show, show yourself to me. It wasn't a scholar's prayer. It wasn't a particularly profound prayer. It was more of a boxer's prayer. You know, Manfred was simple and to the point. He had a, a, a clear and direct way of communicating with all the people in his life. And so it was natural that that's the way he would speak to God if God existed. Afterwards, he would describe that he felt as if something very important took place in the field that day. He had just begun with a simple prayer, asking God whether he was real and if he was asking him to reveal himself to him. But Manfred would later say, life changed after that day. 
God, of course, did reveal himself to him. And as Manfred Gutsky would describe, he said it was really from that day that he began to seek God. That, that prayer was uh, his first step, not just in doing religion and going through the motions, showing up at church on a Sunday, but it was that prayer where he began to first pursue God, to personally engage in seeking after him. And as he began to seek after God, he realized that God had been seeking him all along. Manfred Gutsky went on to become a pastor. He then went on to become a seminary professor. He became something of a theologian. And yet, Manfred Gutsky never stopped seeking God. He continued to pursue him as, even as he sensed that God was pursuing him in his life. He experienced the truth of Matthew 7, 7. And I believe if he were here this morning, he would encourage that verse upon you. He would urge you to think about that verse in the new year. It's the verse where Jesus famously promises, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Some people read this as an evangelistic verse. Oh, this is, this is how someone becomes a Christian. Some people read this as a prayer verse. This is how you tap into the stuff that God's got and how he's going to give it to you. I think this is more of that. I think Jesus would have intended this for us to take it as a life verse. This is how you live the Christian life. As a a follower of Christ is to be characterized by the asking and seeking and knocking that this verse speaks of. And if it isn't, we'll find what Manfred Gutsky experienced before that day in the field. He had been doing many Christian things. His life, for many people, would have been undiscernibly different from your average Christian. But there was no seeking. There was no knocking. And so Manfred experienced that he was living the the Christian life, but the door was closed. It was like the lights weren't on. He wasn't connected to the power source. And so if this verse doesn't characterize our lives, if if we can't say of our lives that we we are people who ask, who seek, who knock, then we will live the Christian life or try to live the Christian life with the door closed. I want to urge you to seek God in 2018, to be one who pursues him, to be one who seeks to lay hold of God. And I want you to personally experience what Manfred did, that as we seek God, we realize that he's the one who was seeking us. We realize that he delights to show himself to us. He delights to reveal himself to us. And so in order to do that, we... uh, like last week, our our our, Christmas, our New Year's Eve service is a uh, is just a, a one hour. We've just got a shorter service today, um, so we're just going to fly through a number of different verses with the hopes of us trying to understand how it is that we should seek God, why we should seek God, and what some of the obstacles along the way might be. The first reason I'd encourage you to seek God it's be, is because. He's nearer than you think. Not difficult. It's, we don't have to climb up mountains or, 
or, or uh, do anything, any di- anything difficult. God, to many people, can feel far. He can feel distant. He can feel unreachable. But he assures us he's not. He's nearer than we think. When Paul went to, uh, the Apostle Paul went, went to the city of Athens, he looked around at the Roman statues and he found an altar to an unknown God. You know, the, the account where he comes across his statue and it, it, it's, it's a, a memorial to an unknown God. And for Paul, it represented how many people see God. God seemed to the people of Athens as if he was there, but just not sure whether I can know him, whether I can draw near to him. Many people today, would, would, they wouldn't deny that God exists. He just doesn't seem very present. It's like he stepped away from his desk. He's distant. He's an unknown. He doesn't seem to be really engaged in people's day-to-day lives. I want you to see how Paul describes God to people like that as he says these words in Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27. He says, And he, referring to God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. I want you to think deeply about what he says here. It's absolutely amazing. It not only says that God has made each one of us, and that that would be an amazing thing, but it doesn't just say that God has made each one of us, but he's decided where each one of us would live, and in fact, the exact period in history where we would live. Most of you would say, I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure that God was that interested in, in the details and particulars of my life. But it says he's, he's interested in specifics. He, he's concerned about details. Where do you live? What time? What place? The people that you would meet, the circumstances of your lives. You think, why, why would God be interested in stuff like that? Why would God care about those kinds of details? And Paul says he's went to all that trouble, cares for all of that detail for one reason. He says it, that we should seek him. God wants us to seek him and to find him, to experience him and know him. And that seeking is not just, oh yeah, I've, I've found Jesus, I believed in him. Now I can go on and spend the rest of my life seeking other things. No, to realize that he is the one that our, our, our souls are craving for and our hearts are longing for. He is the one that, is, that, that we're called to a lifelong pursuit of. For people like the philosophers in Athens who felt that knowing God was tough, Paul adds, he's not far from each one of us. Even though God went to all of this trouble to determine where you would live and what period of history and how this, all of the circumstances of your life, he, knowing who you were, he stacked the, stacked the deck in favor of you coming to know him and to seek him and to pursue him. He went to all of that trouble, but then he adds, it's not like God's hard to find. 
It's not like God is, is distant and, and that this, this pursuit is something that's difficult. He wants us to find him. He wants to reveal himself to us. In fact, he is the one who has been pursuing us from before we were even born. Some of the children here this morning are maybe thinking, this one-hour one service thing, I don't get to go down to junior church, Sunday school. You know, what, what's that all about? Why, what are, how, how come we've got this, these circumstances this morning? And you're not sure what it means to seek God, but surely that must be for, like, older people, right? Like, that, that's got to be for your mom and dad. That, that can't be for things that, that young children have got to be worried about. I wonder if you've heard yet about a king named Josiah. A king named Josiah was just eight years old, and his dad was doing such a terrible job of being a king that they got rid of him, and they made eight-year-old Josiah king in his place. The people made him king, and I want you to hear what the Bible says about him in Second Chronicles 34.3. It says this, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David his father, and in the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram and the carved and the metal images. He began to seek God while he was yet a boy. Maybe you're thinking, Wow, if my dad was really seeking God and, and, and he showed me how to do that, then maybe I would do that. But with Josiah, his dad wasn't seeking God. In fact, his dad was a terrible influence on him. He didn't give him any help in the pursuit of God. But it said that little Josiah began to seek God himself. He began to listen to the positive influences in his life. He began to look for and seek after the things of God. And so I want to encourage you not to just be a church kid. If you're a youth, I'm going to encourage you, don't just be a, a, a youth church kid. You know, don't, if you're an adult, I want you to encourage you not to just be a church attender. I want to encourage you to be a seeker of God, to seek him with your heart, to make the pursuit of God your life's pursuit. God wants you to know him and to experience him. And if Manfred Gutsky was here this morning, he'd probably say, if eight-year-old King Josiah could do that, I think that you can do that too. Whoever you are, whatever your background, how, whatever age, that the pursuit of God is open and an invitation to each of us. He's closer than we think. And he promises that as we seek him, we will find him. Now, when you seek God, it's important that you seek him on his terms, not yours. Sometimes we say that we're seeking God, but we're really just seeking our stuff. We're just seeking, you know, something we want to get from him. There's no listening to God or seeking him for who he is. The Bible says we need to seek God on his terms, not on our own. Some people love Matthew 7-7 for the wrong reasons, I think. It's a promise about asking and seeking and knocking, but 
the goal of that promise is that we would draw near to God, that we would enter into his heart and all he wants to do in our lives. If we're going to seek God, Jesus gives us a little clue about where we ought to start. He tells us in Matthew 6.33 to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. The, all these things he was referring to were the things in life that we tend to fret over. All of the kinds of things that we want, the circumstances that we would like fixed, the, the things that we'd like God to provide, the needs that we think if we can't get them met, we don't know what we will do. It's in the context of a discussion about worry and anxiety where Jesus says, yeah, 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 I know that you need all of those things. God hasn't forgotten you. God sees your heart, but I want you to focus on something else first. I want you to put something else at the top of your list in your pursuit of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. That is, seek first what God is doing in this world. Get concerned about God's plans for this world and for your life. And focus on his righteousness. Focus on the kind of life that pleases God. Focus on the invitation to holiness that God holds out to each of us. And to put those first in our pursuit of him. We seek God for those things. We, we seek God about some of the things that God's concerned about. Some of the things that God cares about. He wants us to seek him and he wants to do wants us to seek, what he, seek him for what he would do in and through our lives. Sometimes we don't do that. Often we seek instead a feel-good God. We seek the God of better circumstances. And when we feel better or the circumstances improve, we don't feel a need to seek him anymore. We, we seek God to make our life better. And when life is good, we don't really feel the same need for him. Larry Crabb once said, feeling better has become more important to us than finding God. And it's not like he's saying God wants us to feel terrible. It's not saying that God wishes terrible, painful, hurtful circumstances upon us. But it's that he wants more for us than to just feel better. It's more to us than just our comfort that he's pursuing. He wants us to find him and to know him, to experience him. Patrick Morley said, the turning point in our lives is when we stop seeking the God we want and start seeking the God who is. Can you think back to where you can identify two periods in your life where they were characterized by that? Seeking the God you want versus seeking the God who is. Understanding who God is and letting his agenda determine how you approach him and how you understand him, rather than just a made-up fairy tale God of your own imagination. Are you motivated enough to seek God for who he is and what he wants to do in your life? Not just so you'll feel better? That's what the Bible calls the essence of true faith. Listen to how Hebrews 11.6 describes it. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever who would draw near to God must believe that he exists and 
that he rewards those who seek him. It says here that you will never draw near to God if you don't believe that he rewards those who pursue him. We're often tempted to think the opposite of that, right? We're often tempted to think, if I get too close to God, like he'll ask me to do things that just, I'm like, I'm not sure I'm prepared for that. Or, Or we'll think, I've got a kind of a plan mapped out for my life and I'm not really sure if I want to get too close to God's plan because his plan is, might be different than mine. And it's, if it's different, I know it's going to be worse. I know it's going to involve like all kinds of complicated and difficult, painful things. And I, I don't want any part of that. And what we're really saying when we're saying that is, I don't believe that God, that there is reward in the life that God calls people to. A believer trusts that God rewards those who seek him. So God calls us to seek him, and the encouragement given to us is he's closer than we think. When we seek God, he's not hard to find. He's near. But we need to seek God on his own terms, not ours. We seek God and his purposes first, not our stuff. And finally, if we're going to seek God, we need to abandon our complacency. We need to confront what is often the sluggishness that we feel. The, just the, the inertia that's required to get ourselves out of neutral or parked, sometimes even in reverse. We need to seek God and abandon our complacency. When I think of Canada in 2017 and, and soon in 2018, I, I think of how the Jews felt during the exile. God had brought them through a circumstance that many people, many Jews at the time thought was unthinkable. Babylon had come in and, and, and uh, attacked and Jerusalem had fallen. The temple had been destroyed. During the exile, many in Babylon stopped seeking God. They forgot what it was like to be close to him. They stopped hoping that things would ever be any different they began to just start living the life that Babylon offered. Many had given up. And it's into that context that God offers one of his most loved promises. Look how God states the promise in Jeremiah 29, verse 11 to 13. He says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future, and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The Jews in exile who first heard these words, they knew God. They just didn't think that he was too involved in their their day-to-day lives. They saw the fall of Jerusalem and they thought, well, if he didn't stop that, what's, what's he up to? Like, what, what, what good is it following a God that, that lets his temple be destroyed? They'd gotten used to living as if he wasn't relevant. They'd started thinking that when it came to day-to-day life, he just doesn't matter. He just doesn't, he's not involved. In many ways, they'd given up on God, become complacent. 
And so God begins by assuring them of his good plans. He, he reminds them that his plans are good. His purposes are good. Their future is in him. and He's worthy of their hope. But they need to look beyond the hope of Babylon. They'd begun to put their hope in what the Babylonians were hoping in. And he reminded them that they needed to put their hope in a different place. They needed to seek God. For me, it's a picture that defines the challenge of living, in Christian, living as a Christian in Canada today. The hard part about living in Christ, as a Christian in Canada today is not the infringement on our free speech. It's not the, 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 the laws that are being passed that make different things for us difficult. Those have always, you look in history, that's always been the case. There will always be challenges that come culturally upon Christians. That's not the difficult part about living as a Christian in Canada today. The challenge of living as a Christian today is complacency. It's getting so comfortable with a life lived in exile that we stop pursuing God. It's becoming so comfortable with the promises of Babylon that our lives are indistinguishable from from those that are pursuing them. We start seeking the blessing in Babylon instead of in God. It's settling for lukewarm leftovers when God invites us to a feast, when he, brings, when he invites us to the banquet and asks us to pursue him there. God assures us, assures us of his good plans for us, but he urges us to seek him. There is a pursuit involved. He calls us to seek him with all our heart. It's a, it's a, it's a phrase that calls for our soul to be engaged, our, our, our heart, our, uh, the innermost part of us. He wants that inside. He wants our heart. He wants all of us. And he wants us to pursue him. Wilbur Reese is famous for a short poem he wrote entitled, Three Dollars Worth of God. He wrote, I'd like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep. Just enough to equal a cup of warm, warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want about a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I want $3 worth of God, please. We want God, right? problem is we just don't want him very much. We, we seek God in a sense, but often the seeking of God only comes after we've exhausted ourselves seeking all of the things that the world offers. And God invites us to something different than that. Compare Wilbur Reese's $3 worth of God with the attitude of the young King Uzziah. Second Chronicles 20, 26.5 says of him, he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper, made his life full and rich. He set himself to seek God. He purposed to seek God. There was a moment of decision, and there was a conviction in terms of the direction of his life. He did that by growing in his knowledge of God 
by seeking his face, to seek to understand his will, to seek to understand his word. He sought God's purposes for his life, and he laid hold of tremendous blessing. In fact, it says, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. For those of you who know his life, you know that he didn't continue to seek the Lord all of his days, and he would later greatly regret that. And so I, I close by asking, somewhere along the line, did you stop seeking the Lord? Did you maybe continue to go through, do all the same stuff, keep up all of the same activity, just without the heart, without the sense of engagement? Did you start thinking that you've got things figured out? That you've pretty much learned all that you're going to learn about God? that you pretty much know all that you need to know about the Bible. It's so easy to stop seeking God and just do religion instead. To just do the outside. To just keep the forms going and not pursue him anymore. Not to seek, knock, ask. Not to anticipate that there's something more with God. That there's something more from God to stop believing in his power to transform, to change, to bless, and to reveal. I think we can do the same thing as a church. We can become complacent as a church. As long as there's a parking spot and an empty seat for me to put my bag down, you know, we can become pretty happy with that. We can become content with so much less than what God invites us to Take part in. He's called us to a mission and he wants us to pursue him. And so my appeal to you this, this morning as your pastor is to seek God in 2018. Let's seek him together. Let's seek God with, for a renewed intimacy, longing to get to know him more than we know him, however much we think we know him today. Let's seek God in prayer. Let's Believe God for what he wants to do in our own lives and in our lives as a community of believers. Let's seek God in his word and let's seek to take bold steps of obedience to him. To believe that he exists and he rewards those who would earnestly seek him. Let's look to him in in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are not hard to find. Thank you that you're near, not far. I thank you that you're eager to reveal yourself, not quick to hide. There's so many things in life that we can seek and never find. And there's so many pursuits that end in frustration. But when we seek you, we realize how close you are. Father, I pray that you would give us courage this morning. Give us courage to make steps of, steps to pursue you. Steps to seek you. And Father, help us not to do it alone. We cannot pursue you. We cannot grow near to you on our own. And so we pray for your help and pursuing you in 
fellowship with other believers. Help us to get with others who can help in the, in, in the journey. And Father, as we seek you, I pray that you would do for each one of us what you did for Manfred Gutsky. Pray that you'd reveal yourself. Pray that you'd show yourself and that you would direct us. Help us to find you, Father. Because we don't just want $3 worth anymore. We want all of you. We want your fullness. We want your glory. Strip us of the complacency that keeps us from the pursuit and lead us in the path of blessing as we seek you in Jesus' name. Amen.